How can anyone be born when he is old? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truth of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. Josh, that was an important question that we that we kicked this off with. It is, and it'll be interesting to see how our listeners uh, pick up with it as we uh, uh, familiarize ourselves with the uh, with the with the the biblical support for what we're talking about today, which is the the doctrine of regeneration. That's right. That's right. So we are talking about another easy, easy, easy concept to understand. I mean, if teachers who talk directly to Jesus had trouble with it i mean surely we're gonna be we're we're gonna be just fine here right so well they did they didn't have the hero of the story podcast back then in the in the first century that's true that's true but they uh, had you know they had the holy spirit after pentecost but now here and you know in the year 2021 as we're recording this we have the holy spirit plus the hero of the story podcast so look at look at how god's provided immensely for the the good of the church (laughs) All right, now that we're on dangerous ground here, <laughs> I'm kidding, people. Just to be clear, I'm kidding. I do not equate the you know the ministry, the humble ministry that is the Hero of the Story podcast, with the empowering supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Just there you go. Thank you. Great. Thank yeah. you. We're back. We've been missing, and I've uh, I have I have heard through the grapevine of our listeners that they've been missing all of our caveats that uh, Brian oh, okay. and I used to do. So thank you for bringing that back. So as we get into regeneration, we're going to we're going to quickly define this as uh, using what we have described in the 99 essential doctrines. We'll summarize that down a little bit more simply from there, and then we're going to expand like crazy as we talk about where we see it in Scripture and what it means for us. So regeneration takes place at the beginning of the Christian life and is the miraculous transformation or the new birth that takes place with an individual through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It is the divine side of conversion um, that is a person turning to Christ in repentance and faith, being the work of God within a person's life that causes him or her to be born again, a work that human effort is unable to produce. So, real simply, regeneration is God the Holy Spirit bringing the spiritually dead to life. How would, is is that is that about the best way you'd summarize that? That is simply and, and most straightforwardly that we can that we can put that, and we want to show that God's involved with it, that God's the the agent, the cause of this, and even more particularly, the person of the Holy Spirit is the Trinitarian person assigned and associated uh, with this with this work of every generation. The Father works at our salvation through the Son by the Spirit. The Spirit. Uh, is associated with the, the imparting and the, um, the 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 giving of salvation and supernatural life to, to individuals in in, um, in in scripture and as we see um, see salvation applied to people uh, through scripture and in our in our experience so that that's about as briefly and as succinctly as we could put it that God the Holy Spirit brings us spiritually dead to life it's it's sort of the answer to the question how dead is dead that we talked about on a re- recent episode. And uh, talking about the, the the effects of the effects of 
sin, as we discussed uh, Ephesians 2 uh, uh, within the last few weeks. And then today we're looking at, well, how alive is alive? Well, God, the spirit brings new spiritual life to sinners who were, who were dead. Um, thought it'd be good at this point just to get into where do we, where do we see this doctrine in scripture? Sounds like, it sounds like a big word. Why do we need big theological words like this? Well, actually this, this word is directly stated in, in scripture, the, the term regeneration as we'll see here after we uh, list a, a few other uh, passages, but first let's just note that it, it does have uh, reference and background in the, in the old Testament. So think of Deuteronomy 10, 16 talks about uh, the Israelites needs the need, their need to circumcise their hearts. So they needed heart change. And that's of course not something they could do in themselves, but nonetheless, they needed something that the physical practice of circumcision pointed toward and, and, and showing uh, Israel's need for redemption. But in Deuteronomy 30 verse six is God's promise that after Israel, you know, this is way before the exile. This is when they're first going into the land, that second generation uh, that Joshua will lead into the land. Moses is giving them a, a farewell address of, of sorts. He says that God's going to rescue them from the nations and he's going to circumcise their hearts. And that's going to, that's, what's going to enable their, their repentance. And then also you have in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, this heart of flesh, replacing the, the heart of stone and that he's going to cleanse us uh, with, the, with the sprinkling of water, cleanse us from idols, cleanse, cleanse God's people and restore them to their land, but, but caught up in this, this imagery of this, of this new life being found in the land. As you'll even see it described in terms of resurrection with the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37, you have in Ezekiel 36, this, this heart of flesh replacing this, this heart of stone that I, that I, that I just mentioned. Uh, but you have it picked up as we as we alluded to in our opening question. How can anyone be born when he is old? That's Nicodemus speaking to Jesus. And in John three through three, John three verses three through eight, we see this this conversation where Jesus replied to Nicodemus saying, "Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Then we get our question: How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him, "Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born?" So Jesus goes on to explain, knowing that this guy's just not not getting it. He's not getting this this allusion back to Old Testament language like we see in Ezekiel 36. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where, where it is going. So is with everyone born of the spirit. So being born again is not something we can control, not something we can 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 muster up. It's the supernatural work of God. John already referenced it in chapter one, uh, verses 12 and 13. Uh, these are verses you might be very familiar with. Is John's prologue. The, the opening verses of the gospel of John are familiar to uh, most people. Uh, it says in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. So again, regeneration, this, this new birth, isn't something that, that humans have control over the capacity to, to work, uh, within themselves. And here uh, now, as we uh, look at the, our next passage, uh, which is Titus 3, 4 through 7, we see explicitly 
the word regeneration used. And in Titus 3, 4 through 7, Paul writes, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. So you have regeneration associated with this washing and renewal that comes uh, by way of the Holy Spirit. That's not something that we uh, earn or merit by, by our own doing, but something that God, our Savior, does through Jesus by the by the Spirit. So we see that Trinitarian pattern there yeah. also with Father working through the Son by the spirit uh we have other references you know we could look at like james 1 uh, uh verse 18 first peter 1 3 and 23 that connect our regeneration with jesus resurrection uh, but i wanted to mention uh, a passage that might not be intuitive to most people and uh, depending on what translation you're using it might be clearer than others but in matthew 19 28 through 29 jesus describes the, the age to come when the uh, when after um, the Messiah returns uh, to rule and to reign and the new heavens, uh, new earth are, are set up and God's people uh, participate in the ruling and the judging of, of the world uh, with Jesus, the, the, the son of man, uh, Jesus just uses this word regeneration to describe the transformation that's going to happen to the whole of creation. So he says in uh, Matthew 19, uh, verse 28 and 29, uh, Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, in the renewal, and so that's the, this Greek word, palingenesia, uh, palingenesia, try to say that five times fast, uh, that's what's translated regeneration. So same word that we saw in Titus 3, Jesus is talking about the renewal of all things. So truly, I tell you, in the renewal of all things, uh, in some translation will say actually there in the regeneration of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you have followed me. Uh, you, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. So we see regeneration here described in terms of a grand on a grander scale, not just what happens in an individual's life as they receive salvation in christ and sanctification the process of renewal begins in them but also the, the utter transformation of, of the cosmos is described in terms of regeneration so it has a specific reference when it comes to individual salvation regeneration does in scripture but also can be used uh to apply more broadly to salvation as a whole and even the transformation of, of the entire world and I, I've talked for a while, so I think I think think you, you listeners need to hear your voice now, Aaron. They, they've got it's they've it's been too long. I don't know. I mean, I have been, you know, I've been just enjoying listening to your velvety tones. Oh, there, no. Josh. Never been described as velvety, but I'll, but I'll take it. I'll take all the compliments I, I, I can get, including there. Velvety. You go. All right. So getting into. Uh, into what we need to know about this doctrine in order to really understand it. So both in terms of uh, in terms of things that that should both be an encouragement for awareness and also as potential cautions. Uh, there's a there's a few things here. One of the first is is that we we uh, we need to remember this that it is not possible for any human being to cause themselves or make themselves 
to be born again or to be regenerated. It is impossible. It is a supernatural work of God in us. And so think about all of those metaphors that that you heard when, when Josh was reading off all of these passages and describing all of this. Birth, resurrection, new creation, circumcision of the heart, heart of flesh, um, you know, all of these kinds of things. Um, these are all metaphors that indicate that this is something that God does and that that in this, as, as uncomfortable as some people might be with this word that I'm going to use, um, depending on where they live on various on various theological spectrums, um, in this act, because as we described it as being this being the uh, a work of God in salvation, this being God's side of this exclusively, we are passive in this. This is something that yeah. happens to us, not something that we do to ourselves. So God causes us uh, to, uh, God calls us to salvation by the proclamation of the gospel. And so um, we'll, so when we talk about the call of, uh, when we talk about God's calling, we've talked about this a, a long time ago, back in the, back in the before times um, when I had a different co-host. Um, but, um, uh, with that proclamation of the gospel, that is an outward calling and regeneration is the internal, internal response to this. And so it's an, it's an inward action. Um, and so it's a miracle really is what it Mm -hmm. is. And so, um, so one of the things that we have to recognize in that as well is, is that, um, that anytime someone repents and believes, anytime someone is born again, regenerated, um, a new cre- becomes a new creation in Christ, this is a miracle that is happening, an act of God that is only possible through his power. Um, and so along with that, though, um, because I, I, you know, I danced around it a little bit, in there, um, as I was talking about this and this reality that we are passive in this, um, we do have to recognize that there's also a debate that is tied up in regeneration, not necessarily about um, our our activity or lack thereof, right. but about where generate regeneration happens within the within the grand scheme of how we are saved. Um, and so the 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 two sides of it basically say, um, uh, suggest that there's a, that it either precedes faith or it comes after faith. Um, and so, Josh, can you can you unpack that just a little bit more and and simply for us? Yeah, and I'll try not to put too much nuance on it, just to explain that there are basically two groups as far as how this this breaks down the relationship between regeneration and faith does regeneration cause faith or does faith cause regeneration and when we say cause don't think of that as in in temporary terms like when you um you know maybe have a stack of dominoes and you tap it with your finger that's a that's a temporal cause that's a that's a cause of where there was a there, there was a point in where uh your finger hadn't touched the domino yet and the domino uh falls over and so um 
this is not the not the not the same thing as that because what we're, what both sides are saying with faith and regeneration is that both are present at the at the same time you don't ever have a person who is regenerate but not believing and you never have a person who's believing but not not already uh regenerate at that at that at that same point and so uh, if if salvation is in christ this the, the view that says that faith uh, leads to regeneration. They're saying that like all other benefits in Christ, like our being adopted and justified and then sanctification that follows afterwards, um, we don't receive those until we're in Christ. And if it's by faith that we're in Christ, then regeneration should uh, be seen as the same way. It's, it's grounded in Jesus' resurrection. We need to be united with Christ or the salvation he achieved for us lies outside us until we have faith. So that's, that's the logic there that regeneration is another benefit of salvation. We don't receive it till we come to faith in Christ. Now, the other side who would argue that no regeneration must precede faith because how can the spiritually dead do a spiritually act like believing in Christ as we've talked about in other podcasts, John six, where the, where the crowd asked Jesus, what must we do to uh, perform the works of God? He said, this is the work of God that you believe in, in Jesus Christ. And you think of, of Romans 8, 7, that the uh, the the unregenerate person, it's, it talks about the the man, the person of the flesh, the person who's not in Christ yet uh, is an enmity with God's law. He's unable to obey it. Well, we're unable to do any spiritual uh, good prior to Christ. Well, then how how can we have faith if we're dead in sin? So regeneration must be the trigger, um, trigger to that. So, uh, that, that basically summarizes the, the, the rationale, uh, for, for those two, those two cases So faith leading to regeneration of salvations in Christ, then, um, then we have to have faith to be found in Christ. But the other, the other side would say no regeneration is the, is the logical cause of faith because how can, how can dead people, perform a spiritual act like believing in christ so regardless of where uh we might land on on uh, on those uh two uh perspectives um we nonetheless got to affirm the supernatural miraculous work that is regeneration whether faith leads to it it's something god does or whether it causes faith that's something that god does in us so both sides are saying uh, that this is necessary for salvation that regeneration and faith are necessary for salvation to be received and experienced and, and that neither exists without the other there's as i said to start uh, there's no person who has saving faith in christ who isn't regenerate and there's no regenerate person who doesn't also have saving faith in christ and it'd be kind of it's kind of difficult to think about because we're not used to thinking of logical causes rather than temporal causes no logical cause doesn't mean that something uh you can parse out exact exactly uh when, when it happened apart from the from the other event or, or effect i tried to think of a good illustration of that but 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 couldn't off the top of my head yeah it, it is one of these things that that i mean really when we think about it and we think about this the the debate around it and everything like that part of the reason that we do have that debate at all is is because this is something that from a, a natural perspective is entirely impossible i mean again that's why we uh we hit home that 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 reality that this is a miracle um, that is happening here. And because it is something that is so outside of our natural experience, there's nothing that we can really do to, to adequately 
describe it or wrap our wrap our minds around it sufficiently to really understand what's going on in its fullness. Um, and that actually leads to to the next uh, the next thing here, which is that which is how we which is how we view the the new birth or regeneration because there's a tendency to treat it as though it is uh, that regeneration is the totality of salvation um, when in reality the new birth is a part of the process uh, of salvation along with all of the many other benefits uh, that we that we find in Christ through the gospel and so um, it is absolutely right and and good to um, to think about it in ter- think about our salvation as a whole as regeneration so restoring so think the rest- restoration of of being fully and completely in the image of God um, of being that new creation that uh, that Second Corinthians five seventeen talks about that the old has passed away and the, and the new has come. But in that, um, in 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 the most strict sense of of the word, it is uh, it is the beginning of the Christian experience, and uh, we live out of that, and so it starts the road to it. Uh, salvation as a whole entails regeneration, justification, adoption, sanctification, and glorification, um, all, all of which belong to us in Christ, and all of which we live in and through constantly until the day that glorification comes, and then, that w- and then we don't have to worry about sanctification anymore. In this, this is a very long way of saying, basically, don't stress too much about the controversy that 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 Josh described earlier, I think it's fair to say it's like that's that's a very academic debate, sure. But in a uh, in a practical sense, when we come to how we live, there's a very strong there's a very strong sense in which it actually doesn't matter all that much about when precisely regeneration happens from our experiential standpoint. Um, that's not saying that the debate is not important because debates are worth having. And I mean, if if we didn't care about even finer points of theology in uh, in debate, we wouldn't actually have a a strong understanding of what um, of the nature of Christ as both being fully human and fully and fully God. I mean, that was a debate that hinged on a syllable. So debates do matter. Yeah, council council of Nicaea. It came down to a to a syllable whether that Jesus, Jesus the Son is equal with with the Father of the same substance. Was he of a similar substance or of the same substance? And there was a Greek term there. That's right. We've got one more um, one more quick note uh, just to be aware of here as well um, with this. And so this one is a, this one's a challenging one because it's it's really controversial. Um, and a lot of the controversy actually stems from some of the language that's in Titus chapter three. Um, remember that. Uh, remember that that line in verse five that that he saved us not by works of righteousness that that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Right. And so the controversy that that comes from this is that there are some that teach 
this idea of of you know in the the technical term of basically baptismal uh, re- baptismal regeneration, um, and so that saying that uh, that baptism is essential to or the 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 effective cause of regeneration in some way, shape, or form. Um, Josh, can you speak into that a little bit and um, yeah, help us understand that? Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a very tricky, convoluted um, subject and 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 debate. And uh, you see people come at this from a couple different perspectives. Is that you'll have some enough from a higher church context. We'll say we'll look at a lot of the early centuries of the church. When you read the church fathers, they'll oftentimes speak of baptism as this. Uh, if this means it actually brings about uh, forgiveness of sins and newness of life in, in a person through the, through, through um, God's working in the water in a, in a supernatural way. But then you have some who uh, might even be more anti-tradition, but nonetheless um, uh, because of the biblical language that has this strong association between baptism and salvation and imagery or regeneration will say, well, no, just look, look at, look at what the Bible says. It just looks on the surface as if, baptism is linked intrinsically to uh, salvation and is the cause of salvation or is necessary for for salvation so you have some some movements that may be opposed to tradition in the name uh, of just accepting tradition but just just wanting to take the bible at face value so to speak will want to uh, want to bear out this strong connection between baptism and salvation and or regeneration in this way but so first off i want to address that there is a reason these two concepts are connected the imagery of regeneration and salvation and baptism and too many protestants and evangelicals especially want to downplay uh, uh, the importance of uh, of baptism uh, especially with regards to salvation there's some people out there who want to think they want to have this mindset of if it's not essential to salvation that it's not it's not necessary at all it's not important at all uh if it, you know they're not worried about what well, is it essential to obedience is it essential to um following god's commands that there's a public demonstration of faith and repentance and identity uh in christ uh so just because it's not essential to salvation and that you know you do the bare minimum to be uh received by god in christ it doesn't mean it's not important or it's not vital to the to the Christian life or the, or the life of the church. And so from what we, what we're seeing worked out though, from uh, the book of Acts and onward into the early churches, what it meant to be baptized was, to, was to be in Christ. You have even Paul use similar language like, like that mm-hmm. at the, near the end of uh, Galatians three, that, that, that to, to be in Christ is to be baptized in, in, into Christ. And so that was just synonymous of what it meant to be a Christian. It did, did, didn't mean that the, the right or ritual of baptism automatically made someone a Christian, but people would point to their baptism as, 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 as the legitimate grounds for being uh, called a Christian. And so you, that's why you have this language in, in the New Testament, because the, the symbolism and the imagery of baptism um, are depicted our, our depictions, I guess you could say, of our of our salvation. So you, you think of the strong connection, such as the command in Acts two thirty eight. A lot of um, you know different groups who want to teach some form of baptismal regeneration, as we noted, it will go to this: repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and 
uh, you will receive the forgiveness of sins, repent um, and, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. I believe is how mm-hmm. it's worded. Uh, you have Paul um, talking about uh, his his conversion, Ananias speaking to him, saying, "Rise and be baptized, and have your have your sins, you know, washed away." To to paraphrase, and then Romans six uh, to be baptized into Christ and receive the the newness of life. You have that that language. First uh, Peter three nineteen through twenty one, which is a tricky passage for for other reasons, but it it comes out and says that baptism now saves you. But then it, Peter goes on to qualify, not the removal of filth from the flesh, but a pledge of conscience before God. Yeah. And so you have, you have that qualified. So there is this theological and symbolic connection uh, that associates baptism to salvation. But I would say it's not a, not a material one. It's not something where the water brings about any sort of change in a, in a person, but rather it symbolizes what's going on. Compare it to, to a wedding. When you go through the ritual ceremony of a, of a wedding, that doesn't cause the internal love that a bride and a groom have have for one another. A lot of people want to compare baptism to to the wedding ring, which I don't think that's actually the appropriate symbol because that's something that you wear and, and you keep, whereas baptism is an event, something that happens to you. And so really it's more like a wedding instead of a wedding ring. Baptism is this this formal pronouncement that the church does that identifies a person to to be in Christ. So it's confirming of salvation. It's not the cause, but it's mm-hmm. an accompanying sign or event with salvation. And so to 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 and we too often in our circles will di- disassociate baptism with salvation because there's sometimes can be a real big gap between someone's profession of faith and then their baptism. When in the early church, that that wasn't really the really the experience especially as you see in acts when the yeah. gospel would go public in a place people would immediately respond to be baptized wherever there was a body of water to 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 do so and then uh into the early centuries of the church you would have people who would pledge for six months to a year and be catechized and then become a christian so within their first year of their christian life after they took seriously what it meant to become a christian they would be baptized so that that historically had been the had had been the the strong connection between baptism and regeneration. Uh, I don't mean to get us too much into the um, the rabbit trails of, of, of the debate, but I just think that's important context where we acknowledge why there, that there is a connection, but don't make the wrong conclusions about that connection. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think that's really wise. And I, I really appreciated the, the way you described the, the, this desire to avoid the incorrect analogy of um, not thinking of your baptism like a wedding ring, but think of it like the ceremony, where um, where if you wanna if you wanna think about any part of that being the ring, think about the T-shirt that some churches give you for for being baptized. That's your wedding ring right there. But um, one of the other things that is that is helpful in this to remember too in that in that controversy. And yes, this this obviously puts us where we need to be in this debate. Uh, but a couple of key things to be remembering is uh, the thief on the cross was someone who who was not baptized, and but he did, but he but he professed faith, and he went to be with the Father. Um, he was with Christ in paradise on the, on that day, according to Jesus Himself. Um, second is also uh, just a fun a fun interesting thing. John the Baptist, he is uh, he is. Uh, perhaps the only example of a person being born again before he was actually born. 
Um, because when we see the the prophecy of who he's going to be, it says that he that the Holy Spirit will be will will be uh, with him even from the womb. And right. We well, you see, have him rejoicing when Jesus yes. is in the room in his mother's womb, with uh, when John the Baptist is in the womb. It says that the baby delights and that his yeah, mother he leapt uh, for joy. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's really. It's just a, it's a, it's one of those things that it's like, we, we, we see the relationship, but there is, but they're, but they are not, uh, but they are not the same. They're not equal with one another. And so, uh, thank you for unpacking that, that really well and, and actually quite succinctly for us, uh, here. Now, uh, as we wrap this up, uh, let's talk about the differences that this doctrine should make. So, uh, I'll handle the first one here, and then you can bring us home. So, uh, first and foremost, when we think about regeneration, we need to remember that this is good news because we are alive and have the ability to walk with God and show others what a new creation life looks like. And so, when you believe the um, that you have the tools for a job, you're you're motiv- motivated to do it. If you know how to do something, um, or if you you truly believe that you know how to do something, um, you're inclined to do it. Um, and so um, now some people get a little bit get a little bit funny there because they can they can believe very confidently that they know how to do something and really don't. So for example, I could believe very confidently that I know how to fix my car. I don't know how to fix my car because I don't know how to use tools. But for the things I do know how to do that I know I know I have and and I can prove it, I'm good to go. Um, But if you think if you think about it in this in this um, stretched analogy (laughs) um, here, um, you know, we because of Christ and, and through the spirit, we have the tools that we need to do the job that uh, that God the Father has assigned to us. Remember that that Ephesians says that that we all have works that we have been called uh, that have been um, that have been designated for us to do from before the foundations of the world. In fact, right, right. Um, and so and so if he, if God is calling if God has those things for us he is going to equip us to be able to do those so since we are alive in Christ we have no excuse to not make the effort to obey God in every in every respect in every instance in every way knowing that he has equipped us to do this because we have been renewed and regenerated we are new creations with his spirit within us just thinking about you were talking about the scenario about being motivated and not necessarily uh, confusing confidence with the actual ability to do a job just flashes of episodes of home improvement with tim the Toolman taylor uh came into my mind for some reason right Whenever <laughs> he was always confident he could he could uh, repair or enhance something and uh you know all yes. he, he always needed more power more power absolutely and, uh, that that seems very relevant for talking about regeneration and the empowerment of the the spirit to lead the Christian life. So there's Definitely. See, pop culture uh, and application for the Christian life. It, it exists there, folks. Um, <laughs> another takeaway uh, we want to consider and um, and and evaluating the difference that this this doctrine of regeneration makes is that 
we should approach non-Christians with humility, compassion, and patience. Seems to be a uh, theme that comes up a lot when we're drawing application from from passages, but you know, it, it comes up naturally because because it's it's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, with regeneration, we we understand that God's performed a supernatural, miraculous work in us that that others have yet to experience. So we have uh, spiritual sight. The blinders have been taking off, not because we were extra special because we're inherently more religious or spiritual than, than other people. But, but we do have eyes to see because we've been brought from death to life or as others still are toiling around in, in death and darkness and, and blindness. So we need to be patient with others as we seek to, to, to win them to Christ, proclaim the gospel um, when they, when they are around us as we have opportunity. So we need to understand that we we've had, we've, we have a supernatural benefit that they don't yet possess. So let's be patient. That includes with our children, our children, you know, don't come into the world born again, unless they're John the Baptist. And that was the exception that proves the rule. Uh, They, they are, they are blinded and dead spiritually from that, from the outset. And they need the supernatural work regeneration. That includes our, our other family members, relatives, and neighbors who, uh, may not yet believe in Christ. They're, they're not, they don't have this gift of regeneration that we have yet. And so we can't expect them to act in regenerate ways. It doesn't mean they're not morally accountable for their actions. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. they can't do any public or civil good. It doesn't mean they can't be friendly, nice people, good neighbors who keep their lawn mowed and, and, uh, you know, clean up after the dogs. Yeah. Clean up after the dog. Don't, don't mistreat people in general, but it means that all that is tainted uh, by sin and done with the wrong motivations ultimately um so they can they can have goodwill but it's idolatrous goodwill yeah uh, at best it's not of any spiritual merit uh, as far as as far as god's concerned and so we need to have patience concerning uh others spiritual conviction uh, condition but we also need to have urgency for that same reason because you're either born again or you're still dead in sin so that shows the the urgency and the and the importance of, of preaching the gospel to others and it's it's by the word and with the spirit's power that god brings people to faith and into his kingdom so regeneration happens through the the preaching of the gospel it's like the wind the spirit's movement's like the wind we can't control it and know what's going to happen but we do know the spirit loves to use and normally uses god's word in order to bring new life in people yeah Man, that is a great note to end on. So thanks, Josh, for uh, for talking about this doctrine. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. Music.